what grit means to me is being relentless. Like you really need to work hard at your goals, but also like fail fast. I mean, I like to pride myself that I'm the leader of if you make a mistake or if what you were trying isn't um, working for you, you're not going to be scared to tell me. You're going to tell me what you learned from it. And so, especially at our stage of a company, you're going to try many things and a lot of things are going to work really well, um, but a lot of things probably won't. So be relentless. Hi, I'm Jubin, go-to-market partner at Kleiner Perkins, and this is GTMG, a show that interviews world-class revenue and go-to-market leaders to explore how they operate, think, and deploy grit every day in order to build incredible companies. Now let's get to the episode. Renu, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I am ecstatic. I was just saying, not only am I ecstatic to have you on the show, we're ecstatic to have you within the Kleiner portfolio. We're recording this before it has been announced to the world, but hopefully that happens in what, the next month? In which case, we will be releasing this episode in conjunction with that announcement. Is that a, is that a plan? I just made that up now, but hopefully that's what we want to do. I think it's the plan. If it's not, it's the plan now. So I'm excited okay, to be good. part of the Kleiner Perkins family as well. Good. So I start off all of these things the exact same way by reading your background. If I screw something up, please let me know, and then we can go from there. You got your bachelor's in economics and computer science from UC Davis, go Aggies. And then you went to Cisco. You spent seven years at Cisco. You know, you sunk your teeth into sales there, territory sales manager, five years in a patch. And then you were uh, an account manager within the gaming vertical. You spent two years doing that. You learned the blocking and tackling of what it's like to sell. And at the time, Cisco was, well, not what it is today. It was a juggernaut. Like it was just a great place to learn. Cisco, Oracle, you know, we, we kind of poo-poo on those names now. But like back in the day, that was an amazing place to learn. So anyway, then you went to Google. Uh, you spent a year at Google uh, as an AE in search. Then you went to Jive, which was actually a Kleiner portfolio company. My partner, Ted, was on the board of Jive, small world. You spent two years as an AE there. Then you went to Quarry. I probably screwed that up. Uh, you're a strategic account manager there for two years. And you can start to see your progression of like, you're getting into larger deals, right? Like that seems to be the trend that was following your career. Then Dropbox, you got your first management gig. You were the strategic large enterprise sales manager for three years there. And that was after Dropbox went from B to C to B to B, I assume. So that was years probably after. And then uh, my partner, Ilya, maybe overlapped with you while you were there. And then Slack, you became the director for large enterprise sales at Slack for almost three years. And now you're at a company called Thrive Global. And you've been there for about a year, a little less than a year, nine months. What are we at? Oh my gosh, I guess 10 months technically, but it feels a lot longer. But yeah, about a little bit less than a year. Did I screw anything up? Nope. You got it all right. You got it all right. Learning along the way. And you're exactly right where I built myself. Um, Cisco was really cool at the time that I was there because John Chambers was a CEO. And as, if you know anything about John Chambers, he's like a sales guy. And so I was actually hired to be a part of this associate sales rep program, which was a new college graduate program that took people straight from college and trained and educated them on how to be field sales reps. So that's where it all started. You know, I have a bitter taste in my mouth about those programs because I could never get into them. Like I remember Oracle said no. And honestly, I always say this on the show, but I don't believe in coincidences anymore. It's probably the best thing that ever happened to me that I was so terribly underqualified to actually participate in any of these programs. They all said no to me. Any of the real 
institutionalized programs could all smell through my shit from a mile away and and none of them wanted anything to do with me. Question on Google. You were there for a year. What happened? Did you make a mistake? I made a mistake. So I was there for a little bit less than two years. Um, so I okay. know on my LinkedIn shows like 2010 to 2011, I believe yep. I started Google in, I want to say March of 2010 and I left like February of 2011. So it was almost less than two years. And uh, it was a really great learning experience in the sense where um, Google Enterprise was pretty brand new. I was part of the Google search appliance team and we slotted into the Google Enterprise main team, but it didn't feel like it had the right focus that I wanted because I knew sales was my career and I wanted to really grow as a salesperson and close meaningful deals and get into meaningful accounts and really learn. And um, coming from Cisco, where it's all about sales and it's all about operational efficiency and it's all about you know being a better salesperson and Back then, I think we're learning like spin selling and value selling. They're really trying to educate us on how to be a salesperson. I didn't get that same feel at the time at Google. And so I thought, you know what? It just didn't feel like the right learning experience for me. And I am a true, I think if any of my managers were to describe me, they would say she is hungry to always learn. That's just something about me. So I I made the decision to leave. Were there any clear signals or early tells that were indications to you that it was not the right fit? You know, was it a, a manager that was micromanaging because they didn't come from sales before? I felt that with Google leaders in my life. You know, was there anything that was obvious to you? You know, sales ops didn't know how to cut up a territory. Google didn't know how to do customer success. Like, was there anything that clearly stands out as like, this isn't the place for me? Jimin, you're just trying to get me in trouble here. <laughs> Well, you know, definitely felt like they were over hiring very quickly. And so, you know, when I started, I didn't even have a desk. I mean, I, it was literally like, okay, you're going to sit in that corner because we don't have a desk for you. So that felt a little bit, you know, coming from a Cisco sales culture, like, okay, well, they don't even have enough desks for the enterprise people. And they're just putting them in random corners. That was day one. You know, the manager that I inherited was definitely someone that had a different style that I didn't adhere to, or I didn't respond well to. And so there's a little bit of friction there, but I will say, you know, you learn a lot from really good managers and you also learn a lot from managers that you don't jive well with. And so I did learn about his style and what I didn't like about it. And hopefully I'm avoiding those traps uh, managing now. I had Dan O'Connell, who's the CRO of Dialpad, and he was employee number 300 at Google and he watched it grow to 60,000 people. And he said that by the time he had moved desks so frequently that he stopped unpacking the boxes because they were hiring so many people. So he never unpacked his boxes. Crazy. Okay. A couple more questions. And then I want to get right into Thrive because I have a lot to cover with you there. Dropbox, your first management gig, what was the impetus to like, you're a stud, large account seller. I always say that is probably the best job in the world. No one messes with you if you're good. You make more money than you probably deserve. Your autonomy and flexibility is unparalleled. And you're making more impact than pretty much anybody because you're driving revenue. I think it's kind of crazy to leave. I, I did it, but why did you do it? I blame Jerry Bruner. He was my manager over at Dropbox. And you know I was doing really well as an individual contributor. And his team was growing. And he's, he just said, hey, people are already going to you for questions and answers and advice we need a manager, would love for you to be it. And 
I definitely probably said verbatim to him, which is, I like to be in charge of my own destiny. So I do not want to be in management. And he said, nope, we want you to do it. We know we could see you do it. Kevin Egan was a VP over there as well. And he encouraged it as well. And they gave me like, it was Q4. And so they're like, why don't you try it out for Q4? If you like it, we can you know carve out a permanent management role for you moving forward. If you don't, we can think about what it looks like for you in the next year as an IC. And I just loved it. So I haven't looked back since. I remember a mentor of mine earlier in my career, his name was Jeff Williams. He took FireEye from like zero to IPO. He's now the operating partner at Bain Capital. And I remember sitting in the Bain office with him when I was interviewing for a job. And he said, you have to go be a leader. And I said, why? Like life's good right now. Why would I do that? And he said, you know what, Jubin? Like in our portfolio, I could fill AE jobs left and right. It's not that hard to find great AEs. He says, it is very rare, very rare to find great leaders. And he said, it's incumbent upon us as leaders to bring up the next generation of folks who we think can be great. So you have to do it. And, you know, jury's still out on what I was. But anyway, I learned that lesson early. And so if you're listening and you're not sure, it is incumbent upon you to go rise up and be the next generation of great leader. Anyway, okay, enough of the cheesy stuff. So you go to Dropbox, you have a, a great run there. Then I assume Slack recruited you or you ended up at Slack because similar sales motion, bottoms up, similar type of customer profile, selling similar types of collaboration, productivity type software. All, you know, I'm overgeneralizing here, but just bear with me. And then um, you had a great run there. And now you are at Thrive Global. This company, it's unbelievable. As I was prepping for this episode, so when we first closed the deal with you, it was one of the few times where I was like, please, let's get this deal done. Like, please, because I was just so excited to partner with you and the team on building and growing this business. Can you tell the audience in like 30 seconds, what does Thrive do? Absolutely. So we are a behavior change technology platform. So we're a B2B company. So we, uh, we're an employer-given uh, employee tool, and we help people be the best version of themselves by having a continuous mechanism of just being a better person. How does that work in real life? Like, give me a use case. Like, how would an employee at Salesforce use Thrive? So much journey they want to go through. So we, we give the option of going through different journeys based on what you're going through in your real life. So I'll use me as an example. So I have two young kids. I have a four and a seven-year-old. And one of the journeys that I'm focusing on is recharge. So we know there's a direct correlation between recharging and performance. And for me, uh, because you know my workday does not end at a certain time, I have a son who's learning how to read and a daughter who's learning how to control her um, tantrums. <laughs> uh, so for me, it's all about recharging at night and putting away my phone at a certain period, um, cutting off my social media and my news, and really focusing on getting a really good night's sleep so I can recharge my battery. And journey, is that kind of a euphemism for building habits? Like, are you basically going down to, okay, here's a goal that I have, which is, recharging. In order to recharge, I need to build more effective habits like putting my phone away. And we're going to give you a digital platform that enables you to build those habits through micro steps. Is that like, is that fair? That's completely fair. And so micro steps are too small to fail actions. And so we're not asking you to go to recharge. You got to meditate for 45 minutes or, you know, do something that's very, very long. We're asking you to do 
really quick, small things that can make a bigger impact in the long term. Can you give some other examples of like other small things? Like what are some things? So for example, another thing, I'm going to use me as an example. Again, what I've learned in my time here at Thrive is um, we all have different biotypes. And so um, it's really how you react to different scenarios in life. And one of the things that my biotype is actually, I'm a ruminator. And so I really like to play things over and over in my head and ruminate on what I said, how I said, how I could have said it better. I'm sure I'll ruminate after this recording as well. And um, one of the micro steps that I've learned is set aside a certain period of time at the end of the day, beginning of day, whatever works best for you to really ruminate all at once. So you're not spending, you know, in this Zoom filled world, we have to context switch really fast from meeting to meeting, especially for us for end of quarter. I'm not spending the first 10 minutes of my next meeting ruminating, right? So I know that later on today, when I go for a walk with my husband, I can spend that time ruminating aloud with him versus Mm. um, doing it in a meeting where I should be spending the energy elsewhere. Now that you label it, I am such a ruminator as if I need another thing to beat myself up over. Great. Can you tell, because I think it's actually inspiring and very informative to the business today. Can you tell the origin story of Thrive? Like, How did we get here as a business? Absolutely. So Ariana Huffington is our CEO. And um, about a decade ago, she had her own version of burnout where she found herself in a pool of blood, knocked out where she hit her side of her head on a desk. And, you know, she thought it might have been a medical problem. But in fact, it was just that she was working, you know, 20, 18 plus hours a day, which is what she thought was a traditional way of getting ahead and being successful was you work really hard and work long hours. And she went on this whole journey for herself where she said, maybe it's not about working 20 hours a day. Maybe it's about quality versus quantity. And how do we really focus on ourselves to pull that quality out in less quantity? And so she started doing her own um, research and working with scientists around the world, started talking to many, many people. And that's the concept of how Thrive was formulated. However, Thrive came out as more of like workshops and talks by Ariana and her team around the world to go to different organizations live to say, this is what you can do in your life to practice better well-being for yourself and not burn out. And then one of those talks, there was a CEO sitting there and he said, you know, this is more than just a one-time workshop or a uh, fireside chat with you. You should actually think about making this into an app make this something more, make this a platform so people can really practice these, their self, their own time. And that planted the seed. She was at Huffington Post then and planted the seed. And she decided to start thinking about it more. And she left Huffington Post and she started Thrive as a company. And lo and behold, almost five years later, this is where we're at. I'm going to ask you a hard question. Everyone knows why it's obviously exciting to work for Ariana Huffington. Like there's like a million reasons why I'm not even going to ask you that because there's so many superlatives that everyone describes her as, and none of which are probably can actually be descriptive enough of how amazing she is. My mother would be very, very happy about this conversation. Now you're a part of her orbit. I imagine expectations in her orbit, given the success that she's had as a woman, as an individual, as a business person, are very, very high. That would be one obvious way. You tell me. Oh my gosh. She is a badass businesswoman. You know, what's hard is for me, I'm an overachiever. I've always gotten that A in uh, undergrad. I've always gotten, you know, good grades. And the way I always do that is I like to think ahead. So I like to be ahead of what I think the test is going to ask me, for example, right? I like to prepare and plan. 
She is the most prepared, planned person I've ever worked for. And so, you know, before I can even look around the corner, she's already looked around the corner 10 feet ahead. And so I'm always trying to get ahead of her and I just can't. And that's the hardest thing for me personally, because I like to be the one that's always ahead. (laughs) That's awesome. I'm looking forward to meeting her one day, probably at one of our Kleiner events. Okay, I have a, a series of questions that I was hoping we could rabbit hole down around habit and habit formation. I can see you sneaking in Slack checks with your quarter end as we're talking. Don't, don't, don't think that I can't see. Maybe I'll just start with like, why do you think that having habits are important? Oh, that's a really good question. So I think they can be bad and good. So you can have good habits and you can have bad habits. And there's a clear delineation there. For me, you know, as a parent, having habits around teaching kids that there's consistency and there's predictability. I think that's huge, right? For them, for stability. And then just habits around like uh, trying to be a better person. I mean, if you look at my bookshelf, there's like thousands of books on like how to be a better sales leader or business person. And you create habits around like forecasting or management, just uh, how do you do your one-on-ones. But I think personal habits are even more important because it what makes you as a human human being, right? And so for me, I think uh, if you break down who you are as a person, it's a series of different habits that you've formulated through your entire life. And so it's kind of fundamental. I firmly believe, and I, you've heard probably me say this on other episodes, that my personal habits are indistinguishable from my professional habits. And what I mean by that is that when I sleep very well, I am much more effective at work. When I work out, that is a work habit. I don't know the difference. And so I never, and I always say this too, like, I don't know if I'm always working or never working because a lot of the inputs that I have personally, physical health, mental health, et cetera, let me bring my A game to a podcast like this. And so I was about to ask you, what are the best work habits that you have? But maybe I should just ask you, what are some of the habits that you're particularly type A about. You never miss them. And then maybe follow-up question to that. What are habits that you have that you want your kids to have? So as soon as you said, like, what habits do I never miss is my Tuesday and Thursday, 6 a.m. Soul Cycle class. It just sets me up for just a wonderful week, even Saturdays at 7 a.m. if my kids don't have a soccer game or something. But so workout for me is a big habit as well. You know, in terms of different habits professionally, I like to make sure that my team is well taken care of. So every morning I have a, a global team. And so people are working asynchronously, you know, at different time zones. And so in the morning, I might, one of my habits is to list out the different blockers that I can remove throughout the day that they've addressed to say, Hey, I need this approved in security. I need this proven legal. I need, we need to get this asset completed or through design. And so I just make a list of those the first thing in the morning. And then I work my my way through it throughout the day when I have the time. And at the end of the day, whatever's not checked off the list, um, either it has an owner or um, we get to it before the end of the day. So it's just one of the habits that I have just to make sure that things are moving, that the engine's going. In terms of my kids, what habits I'd love for them to have is just I really want them to know the value of hard work. And the way they do that, I think, as kids is um, structured. So it's, you know, my son's learning how to read. And it really doesn't take 30 minutes a day of reading for you to be a better reader at his age. It takes five to 10 minutes. And so for me, it's, you know, I just want him to spend five to 10 minutes reading out loud and really understanding what he's reading and just create the habit of like 
okay, this is going to help you go into a world of a book that, you know, can lead you to, he loves Star Wars right now. So in the mind of a Jedi and and like learning about, you know, the different characters in Star Wars, I don't know them all, but he can probably rattle all the names off, but also just like, it'll help you get to the next level of reading and practice makes perfect. And, you know, so I definitely have that with them, but also just a, a habit of, we do gratitude every morning. So we, um, that's something that I've always been a big proponent of, Thrive's really helped me take it to the next level because connection is one of the journeys that we also encourage our um, end users to follow through at the right time uh, based on their well-being journey. And for us, every morning, we talk about one to three things that we're thankful for. And every morning, sometimes my son gives a generic answer of mommy, daddy, my sister. But other times he'll say like, oh my gosh, like my school. And, you know, I built this dinosaur at my school yesterday and I can't wait to build the next one. And so helps him think about things that he's really excited and proud of and what he wants to do more of. Do you have any aspirational habits that you tend to break pretty easily? Like some that you intermittently do because you really want that to be part of who you are, but that life happens and it's one of the first things that you drop. I, uh, yes, absolutely. We're all human, right? So I will say I like to guard my time between 5.30 and 7 or 7.15, whenever the kids go down for bed, to really be just that undivided time with them. And there are days like end of quarter where um, my phone is next to me at the dinner table or I'll sneak down, do a call or I'll respond to something that, you know, I, I know is a disruption in that time, but there's just days where I can't avoid it. <laughs> I have a ton of those too. It's, I think, uh, overachiever kind of disease that you have, right? Like if you're always trying to get better and you fall short of that, then you're kind of tough on yourself. How do you not be tough on yourself? You know, like I beat myself up over it or like after this, when you listen back to the podcast and by the way, I listen back to myself in every podcast and be like, that question was way too long winded like this one. And how do you not be really hard on yourself? It's the rumination time, Jubin. <laughs> you got to set aside the time to ruminate. I got to build a better habit. Okay, sorry, go ahead. Were you going to answer it? I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah, so I mean, obviously, rumination time is key. But also, um, if dinner gets interrupted by an email or call that I have to take, that I know like on the weekend, I can make up for it by um, having longer periods where I'm not interrupted with my time with my kids. And, you know, I also am communicative with them to say like, you, my son, you work hard by reading a book for 10, 15 minutes. I work hard by actually producing results and the organization that I work for and moving the needle. And I have a team that relies on me. So I talk to him about these things all the time. Like, I don't think it's a mystery for my, my young children to know what I do at work. Like I'm building a team, you know, speaking to people outside uh, different organizations and they know what customers are and we like to get them to be better humans is what I tell them. And so they join the Thrive families is, is the simplest way that I can explain it to them. Do you think your kids know that mommy from 5.30 to 7.15 does her best to not go on the phone? Yes. Like you tell them that. Yeah. My younger's going to be four in July. So maybe she doesn't have that concept of 5.30 to 7. But my son, Roman, who's uh, seven years old, he definitely knows because he knows how to tell time. And so he knows that this is the time that we can do that art project or we can do whatever. Right. And so tonight, inevitably, like quarter end, you're going to be on the phone. Like, and then you'll explain to them, hey, this is why I am breaking this habit. And it's important to me to do so and to explain it to you because like, this is a part of what I do and why we have food at the table tonight kind of thing. Maybe not as dramatic, but something like that. 
<laughs> that, that is dramatic, but definitely, um, you know, they know. And um, hopefully if all the deals come in today, I won't have to, have, you know, experience that. <laughs> I told you we're going to go down the habit rat hole here. What are great habits that you think compound for reps? Maybe I'll ask a different way. The best reps that you have, what are the best habits that you've seen in them? Uh, habits and characteristics. Let's see. So, I mean, characteristics is always looking around the corner, knowing what's coming at you. But uh, habits is, you know, the basic operational stuff, right? Making sure the CRM or we use Slack a ton here. Slack is updated so that I don't need to go to them for an update on a key deal and neither does the executive team. It's that open communication or the near real-time communication of they know that this opportunity, that this engagement, that this meeting is important to not just them, but to several other folks. So having that proactive communication in whatever tool or whatever method is like, we have so many amazing meetings on a daily, weekly basis with many, many folks of our executive team. And I was taught really early on by uh, one of my mentors of like, you never want them coming to you for the update. You want to proactively update them so that they know, you know, if there's an ask, there's an ask there. If speaking to that person because it's a, it's a friend or it's like somebody they know and they might see over the weekend or whatever, they have the latest um, if it's an important, you know, meeting or customer. So I think it's that proactive communication. That's something that it is habit forming because it's not really, you, you have to create the cadence around it. I couldn't agree more. I... This week recorded with the CRO of Figma and Dialpad. And so he was saying in his days at Google, everyone was hitting their number. At Figma, in I think two and a half years, maybe a couple of reps have ever missed the number because they cannot hire fast enough to meet the demand. And so my question is always, how can you tell what great looks like? Who is great? And the answer is habits. You can tell what great looks like, not through quota attainment, but through the way that their habits shine through. Are they updating Salesforce? Are they proactively communicating? Are they seeing around the corner? And habits manifest in very tactical ways that you notice over time. Is that fair? Like, is that kind of what you're saying? Totally fair. Totally fair. Okay, one more question. I heard you somewhere else say someone rattled off your resume to you similar to how I did. And it was this really cool up into the right journey that you've had as a, as a professional and she asked you, what's the most proud moment of your life? And like, what's the most proud thing that you could think of? I'm butchering what she said. And the answer, I thought for sure, this is a layup for some big deal, some person that she promoted. You said, well, the thing that comes immediately to mind is my son scoring a goal in his last soccer game. Why'd you answer it like that? You know, I think um, being proud means different things. It can mean different things to different people. And obviously, um, I know exactly what interview you're talking about. It was right after that soccer game that I attended where he scored that first mm. goal. You know, I think that professionally, you have proud moments. And then personally, you have proud moments, right? And I do think that there's correlation between both of them. But I definitely have a lot of professional proud moments as well. But my kids, I'm, I'm always so proud of as well. It was an awesome answer. All right, let's get into Thrive a little bit more. I think Ariana said it best. She was like, you know, I know the business sounds like it's for people that want to go hang out and chill under the mango trees. This is like a serious business. Like I was looking at our memo, our investment memo in preparation for this. And I went through all the go-to-market characteristics and it was like eye-popping. I don't know what I can share on this call. So I'll kind of dance around it. But in one year of sales, 
the revenue growth from zero to big double digit numbers was staggering, like staggering. And the deal size was hundreds of thousands of dollars per deal. You go on Thrive's website right now and you look at the logos and the testimonials. It is bananas. Like it is, this thing is no freaking joke. Tell me, how do you sell this thing? You hire very smart enterprise sellers. So this isn't a, a certain department should be using Thrive or a certain organization with a certain size. Thrive can really impact any organization size. And so we launched with Walmart and Accenture. And yes, if you go, if you go to our website, you can see all the wonderful logos um, of really, really large enterprise organizations, which is what got me super excited about the opportunity here, because that's my specialty is really selling into the large enterprise businesses. But you know, we, we really quickly found out that actually companies of 1,000 employees or 5,000 or 8,000 employees are also primed to have Thrive wall-to-wall, enterprise-wide within their organizations. Hiring the right sales team that works hard, is smart, you know, uh, rests hard, is really the differentiator that's um, helping us close these deals very quickly. Correct me if I'm wrong. When you came in, it was the ASP, the, the average deal size was much, much lower, very, very small. How did you think about it? Like when you joined, obviously there was a hiring profile that Ariana and team were looking for, which was to up-level the way that we focus on enterprise sales. So in comes you. What were some of the early steps that you took to elevate the class of customer and and size of customer that we're selling to? When I looked at the pipeline, it was um, lower five-figure deals for a lot of them in the pipeline. And um, what I found was that the team was trying out to do like pilots or they were trying to do small little lands because they wanted the logos. And that's important too. But we actually shifted the narrative to say, Thrive activates cultures within organizations. And it's a C-suite and a board level conversation. And so this is not like Slack, for example. In the early days, it was really uh, geared towards or product design engineering was one of the first adopters of Slack, right? But Thrive is not that. Thrive, if we do activate cultures properly within organizations, it's got to be an enterprise-wide sell. And so that's our narrative that we have with customers. And that's where we've seen the biggest impact. And pilots don't work with Thrive because um, to activate culture is not a three-month, okay, let's see what the engagement looks like. Mm-hmm. It, is a, it is a multiple-year journey. We're true partners. And so we now only do multi-year enterprise-wide deals. I was digging through these numbers and they were quite literally unbelievable. You don't really see revenue growth in the early days like this. So I started asking myself, like, how could this be? And one of the things that came to my mind, especially as I was reading the chief HR officer from Salesforce and like our diligence notes, I was reading through the diligence notes that Mamoon did. And I was listening to Ariana on a podcast, maybe her podcast with Benioff. And you listen to them talk. They're freaking friends, right? Like they are friends. And I started to realize Ariana, all of these people are her friends. Like she's just got, she's just so powerful. She knows so many people. The question, if I was you joining this company, I think you know where I'm going with this, that I would have asked her is that are these artificially inflated because you're doing deals with your friends, right? Like are these relationship cells and are we just buoyed by this initial, you know, ramp similar to when you hire a rep that was in a patch initially they're going to ramp quickly because they have relationships. But over time, it's execution that wins and endures. So I don't know. How do you think about that? 
It was definitely a thought in my mind. And um, I think she was a very, very smart about it, where, of course, she's going to launch a new company. She's going to go to people she trusts the most and get advice. And would this resonate with your organization? Benioff was one of those people. But, you know, it's not scalable, right? I mean, she's got thousands of friends, but we that's not going to be our sales strategy. And so Pfizer is a really good uh, opportunity that we can talk about here. And I believe they're going to be publicly launched uh, with us uh, By the t- yeah. <laughs> before this podcast comes out. Yeah. So Pfizer was one where, you know, there wasn't that executive connection and the sales team drove it. And of course, you know, at the very end sales cycle, similar to how I've always used the execs in all my sales cycles and all the different organizations I've worked with, we made the exact connection and Ariana did la- launch Thrive with their CEO at the very end once the deal was closed. But there is absolutely a, a world where she will open the doors for us. And we want that. We welcome that, just like we welcome that with Stuart at Slack and everybody else that I've worked with. But we, we're not going to scale that way. And so the team is really proactively going out there without those connections as well. And we're winning and closing deals pretty quickly. Oh, hell yeah, you are. Very quickly. It's unbelievable. All right. I have another thing that I noticed, which is that as I learn more about all these amazing go-to-market machines, both in the portfolio and through these interviews on the podcast, what I look for now are unique go-to-market insights, something that gives you some leg up. So our portfolio company, Modern Health, which is very adjacent to you, they have a channel that's a broker network where they do a boatload of their business through this broker network with no fee. There's no margin that they take off the top. That is a very unique go-to-market insight that I find very compelling. Figma has this insane groundswell, right? And Slack and Dropbox had this too, this unique thing where pipeline generation just becomes a lot easier. You know what I think Thrives is? And it's brilliant. It's this freaking like sidecar media business that you have where, of course, Ariana She's a genius. Like she knows how to do media. And so she's written a book, if I'm not mistaken, called Thrive. She wrote a second book, or maybe that was her second book about sleep. And it's about habit formation. She has her own podcast talking about all these things, having these leaders on, which by the way, probably serves as an amazing mechanism for lead gen, where she'll bring on existing customers. She'll bring on new ones. I mean, it's brilliant. And so much of what you do on the website is shining a spotlight on the success that your customers are having. And then obviously they want to talk about that. Did you notice that when you were looking at this or do you feel that in your top of funnel, like, I don't know, put crudely top of funnel lead gen? Yes, this is a a big source. We want to continue to to be a big source of lead gen and we're going to take it to the next level in the next couple of months um, and beyond. But yeah, I mean, this is, we want the brand recognition. We want people to think that, okay, you know, we need to really give our employees the right solution for them to not be burnt out, to really put their well-being in the forefront. And by the way, it's Thrive Global. And um, the beautiful thing is, of course, we have Ariana as our CEO, and um, she's out there. She's a thought leader in the space. But a lot of our leads and pipeline actually come in from customers referring us to their network. So we get a lot of introductions every week that says like, hey, you know, I'm on the board of this company, Fortune 200 company, and um, they're looking for a well-being solution and we're recommending Thrive. Please connect with their chief people officer. Here you guys go. You know, so we actually get a lot of that, which is, um, I've never seen that before in my career. And then we also just get like the, um, you know, hey, I just left this organization. We use Thrive Global. Um, Now I'm at this organization and uh, we want to bring it here. How do we get started? So 
we fondly call that product market fit in its purest form. It's a very nice thing. All right. Speaking of modern health and unique go-to-market insights that I think they have, insights really a bad word for it, but when you have a company whose mission is so incredibly powerful, how unfair of a recruiting superpower is that? One of our other businesses, Watershed, which is they give you a dashboard to reduce carbon emissions for large enterprises. John Doerr and, and Sequoia co-led the A. It is so insane, the talent that we can unfairly attract because the mission so deeply identifies with people. Have you felt that? Yes, definitely. And how is that different maybe from before in previous jobs? You know, this is an emotional storytelling cell. This is not a feature and functionality and security. You know, you got to have the security functions to pay to play, right? So this is not that. This is, um, as we talk about Thrive Global to um, different organizations and over these Zoom meetings, everybody in that room is also thinking about how this can impact themselves and their lives, right? Because it's not just a solution they're looking for for their employees to benefit from, but they're also part of the organization. So as a parent, can I get those quick microsteps, those trip tips and, and how to be a more effective parent? As a leader, can I get the tips and how to put my own ma- oxygen mask on first? You know, so you hear their stories and then you also see the, the wheels turning as you're in these uh, meetings with them to think like, okay, this, this actually can benefit me as well. And recruiting wise, we're hiring across the board. I mean, obviously, you know, you know the growth that we're trying to get to and we need to hire smart, fast moving people I use the sonic hedgehog emoji a lot in Slack because I'm like, that's the speed that we have to go. I will say, you know, we're looking for those folks that are hungry and humble, but also just really smart. And um, sometimes we do get people that do think that it's like drinking coconut water under a mango tree. And so we have to make sure that they know this is a Series C rocket ship company and we need people that are moving fast. I know I got to get you out of here because you do have a quarter to close. Otherwise, we're not going to get to the growth that we want. One more question, maybe. And this is kind of unfair, but like, are there any favorite micro habits that you have from the platform? Like, are there any really popular ones that you can think of? Like I deleted Instagram, maybe the micro habit that you would have in there would be like, shut it down. Or I turn my phone on do not disturb starting at nine o'clock when I start reading a book. You know, are there any other really actionable, easy ones that you think like, this is a really good one that our customers love? I don't know. Yeah. One of uh, the ones that I subscribe to and do every day is I turn my phone on silent at 9 p.m. So I go to bed like 10, 10, 30. And so it's about an hour before that I, I go to bed. And it really does give me the, the freedom to do other things, whether it's pick up a book or just like let my mind relax or you know prepare for the next day mentally versus like just being on your phone all day. And the one that I think that is most popular amongst our users is turning off social media at a certain time as well. So there's extreme, which is me putting my phone away, putting on silent, but then there's also like turning off Instagram or whatever social media platforms you're on. I love it. Well, thank you. I appreciate your time tremendously. I wrap all of these up the same. What does the word grit mean to you? Um, it's the one question I told you I was going to ask you. It's the only one that I, I literally gave you no prep with this question. And now you're stumped. <laughs> Funny, I, totally, I have like the perfect answer. At this point, I'm like, oh my God, what is good to me? Um, you know what? <laughs> Let's start over. Um, so grit means um, to me is to fail fast and to really try hard, like try hard and fail fast, right? So it's like 
I want to start over. I don't want to say that. Wait, what do I want to say? I'm releasing this whole clip. We're not removing this. We are not removing this. <laughs> you panicked. You completely froze. Which like, I'm like going from habits to grit. Okay. No, grit means to me, what grit means to me is being, what grit means to me is being relentless. Like you really need to work hard at your goals, but also like fail fast. I mean, I like to pride myself that I'm the leader of if you make a mistake or if what you were trying isn't um, working for you, you're not going to be scared to tell me. You're going to tell me what you learned from it. And so, especially at our stage of a company, you got to try many things and a lot of things are going to work really well, um, but a lot of things probably won't. So be relentless. You're obviously hiring. Are there any key roles that you'd like to spotlight now that you're hiring for? Maybe they're sales or marketing. Maybe they're somewhere on, on the engineering team. I assume, like most of our guests that are in high-growing companies, you're hiring for every role across the board. Yeah, any key roles, any key traits that you're hiring for? Yes, we're hiring across the board, but obviously as the VP of sales, I'm going to say we're hiring for every single role in sales. So we have different segments from mid-market to enterprise to large enterprise. And then we're also hiring leaders there. But I got to put a plug in to my product and engineering folks as well, because that team is heavily hiring and sales will only get so far with, without product also um, being you know, the right team. And we have a phenomenal team and we're growing it. And look forward to all the new team members we're going to have. If someone wants to be on your team, what's the best way to get a hold of you or apply? How should they go about that? Email me. I'm just renu at thriveglobal.com. It's easy, R-E-N-U. Email me directly and um, I'd be happy to connect. Thank you for your time. <laughs> Thank you, Jubin. <laughs> That's it. Thanks for listening. If you're just discovering the podcast, we have a lot more episodes with CROs from organizations like Snowflake, Twilio, Slack, LinkedIn, Box, etc. If you want to keep up or support the show, the best way to do so is by following us on Spotify, subscribing on Apple, and leaving a review. Thanks. Talk soon.